are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Now I want to speak to you this morning, uh, as I, if I may, on the, on the value of faith. The value of faith. Now, now I'm not in the market. Nobody's in the market. Faith is of God. Faith is the gift of God. And faith is the work of God. But we that know something about the nature of faith recognize, to say the least, uh, something of the value of faith. Would it be an awful hour to live in a world where nobody had any faith in the Bible, nobody had any faith in the church, nobody had any faith in the gospel, uh, where nobody had any faith in these young men and their enthusiasm about Jesus? Wouldn't that be awful? Well, I have confidence. I believe, I believe these uh, men love the Lord like I love the Lord. Amen. And I have confidence in their uh, spiritual integrity. I have no reason to doubt them at all. There's not a bit. Uh, faith is a wonderful element, a, sub- uh, a sustaining element, and an encouraging reality as we live in this uh, wicked, ungodly world. And nobody can deny that. This is a wicked day, a perilous day, a dangerous day in which we now live. And faith is an essential, if you get along at all in the world as we know it now, it's an essential part of this sojourn. The value of faith is my subject. Now, I'm going to read some very wonderful scripture verses in First Peter, uh, chapter number 1. I think I'll just begin with verse number 1. Peter, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout uh, uh, Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, and then uh, in verse 2, elect. Now, just that one great positive ex- exclamation. Elect, the born-again ones are called in verse 2. Elect, number one, according to the foreknowledge of God and the Father, and uh, second, through the sanctification of the Spirit, and third, under the sprinkling of blood. We heard about that in our Sunday school lesson a moment ago. Brother Kennedy had dealt with it and dealt with it very adequately. Uh, that uh, oh, a second verse is one of the great verses in the Bible. Think about that just a minute ago, did they not? Who are kept by the power of God. And Brother Kennedy emphasized that in our Sunday school lesson. We, the elect of God, saved in faith, saved in grace, are kept by the power of God. So says uh, verse number five, uh, kept from falling uh, under salvation, through, through faith under salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, wherein ye greatly rejoice, we believers. We have nothing else in which we can rejoice. Uh, you take our melody away from us and you strip us of everything. You take our faith away from us and we are as empty as a dead cornfield. We have nothing. Uh, you take our Bible away from us, we have nothing else that we can rely upon. You take the hope of glory within my bosom away from me and I have nothing else. Well, I can go to the bank and borrow a few hundred dollars, I think. Well, what's good with the few hundred dollars, a few hundred dollars, if you have no hope? I'd rather have the hope of Christ in my heart than to have a million dollars any day in the week. And uh, that which I have, that which you have, the hope is not purchased on the market. You, in fact, is you have to become bankrupt before you become a candidate to enjoy it. As long as you think you are something, uh, you're on the outside. But if you ever become bankrupt and you recognize that you're nothing, then God loves you, then God imparts grace, 
Then God gives you saving faith. Uh, then you're something sure enough. You can square your shoulders, lift up your head, and, and be something sure enough in the Lord. So all I have, all I ever hope to be, is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's why we rejoice. Uh, at Tabernacle, sometimes we shout. We did a bit while ago. We didn't start that today, Brother Davis. We started that 41 years ago in the church of Moore. And we've been shouting ever since. Now, we don't always shout every service, but uh, we're open for it, and we have to. And sometimes when least expected, the power moves in, the blessing comes in, and we enjoy our grace on the inside. Now I read again, we're kept by the power of God through faith under salvation ready to reveal in the last time. Now, uh, uh, wherein ye greatly rejoice, although now for a season. And our rejoicing always is for a season. Our rejoicing in this life is not a permanent sort of thing. A man that shouts all the time is shallow-brained. Uh, you just don't shout all the time. I rejoice in the first season. And uh, one thing for sure, across your pathway, something will come that will rob you of your joy and rejoicing. Uh, you don't shout at a funeral. Uh, that's time of mourning and lamenting and grief and bereavement. And we see so much of that. I see so much of that. Uh, I don't encourage people to shout. I encourage people to mourn. Now, we that have a hope can shout that our loved ones have hope in Jesus. That's a different thing. But uh, the, the environment of the funeral is quite different from the morning service here at Tabernacle today. Uh, we're rejoicing in the good singing. We're rejoicing in the good scriptures. We're rejoicing in our brethren. We're rejoicing in our faith. But uh, the devil's down the road a bit. He has not been put in the pit yet. The time will come when he will be put in the pit. But in the meantime, he's down the road, and if you're not careful, he'll throw you a curve, and he'll take your joy away from you and lose your shout. That's his business to take that away from you. We rejoice. And while the season is on, if I was you, I'd get in it. I don't, I don't know when the next season will be. It's in season right now. It's in season right now, Tabernacle. But that season might come to a close. Because there are battles in the way, there are disappointments in the way, there are hardships in the way. A pastor knows about that. Uh, everything is not easy being a pastor. Uh, there are decisions that you made, and sometimes those decisions hurt me as much as it hurts a people that are affected by it. Oh, preacher, you're hard-hearted. You don't know me. You don't know me. Uh, I don't think I'm hard-hearted at all. I've wept many a time. Uh, over over decisions I have to make. I don't like to make decisions that affect people and hurt people. But sometimes it has to be done. But when they when the when the season to rejoice is on, I need to get into myself because I know it won't last always. Yes, sir. The devil is still loose and he bothers we that are in the faith. You greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need uh, be, uh, you are. Uh, ye, ye are in heaviness uh, through manifold uh, temptations. Now I want you to note that uh, uh, if need be uh, set apart by commas it's not a continuation but it's an addition to the thought in verse number, number 6. Uh, the uh, uh, now greatly rejoice though now for a season and then the comma if need be if need be now, that, that tells me that uh, the, the trials and the tribulations that sometimes beset us need be. 
Uh, can you think what you'd be as a believer, as a deacon, as a singer, as a preacher, if never a trial was your portion? Uh, I, I go out to Texas every once in a while to preach, and the first time I was in Texas, I, I was stricken by the fact that there are no large trees, a lot of uh, scrubby trees, little small, my granddad used to call them blackjacks, little oak trees good for nothing but uh, to burn. You didn't cut lumber out of them, they wouldn't grow harder higher than your head, and the limbs never got larger than the wrist of your arm. And uh, all the fields in some part of South Carolina have that kind of, of uh, foliage and trees and Texas filled up with them. But in these mountains, these mountains, I don't know whether our visiting friends, Brother Davis, uh, you came through the mountains yesterday, didn't you? you? You came through the Clinchfield Mountains and the Smoky Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains. Back that way, there's plenty of them, believe me, plenty of them. But in Texas, you don't have that. But back in the mountains, they haul out great trailer loads of big logs. They go and cut those logs down and carry them down to the paper mill they can and make paper, all kinds of paper, and other paper mills. And those trees uh, are in abundance. I mean, all over the mountains, big trees. I guess there's virgin timber back there. I don't know, but I would imagine the trees in, that, in those uh, smokies that are four or five hundred years old. I couldn't prove that. Somebody said the oldest living thing on the earth are the redwoods out in California. The oldest living thing on the earth are some of those redwoods. And a, and a big tree can live a long time, long time. Uh, my wife and I cut a tree in our yard last summer, as uh, big as uh, around as uh, top of this pulpit. And uh, we moved in, into our home 40 years ago, and the tree then was as large as it was last month when we cut it down. Everybody's been there, I guess, 100, 200 years. When old Camp Severe was out there, it was on the Camp Severe. Uh, trees live a long time. Big trees in our country grow. And, but it takes, it takes rain, it takes freezing rain, and freezing snow and ice to produce a big tree. If you fed it nothing but water and sunshine, it wouldn't get much higher than your head. But if you're going to grow a tree, you're going to have to have, have, to have some freeze rain and hard rain and stormy rain and hard winds, and the limbs are going to have to carry twice its weight in ice. If you have that kind of climate occasionally, uh, the old trees just keep on growing and keep on living. As far as I know, they never stop growing. Keep on living. I was told not too long ago that a catfish uh, will grow as long as it lives. And Brother Stewart tells me up at Lake Tonksaway, I think it's Lake Tonksaway, uh, back in the mountains on top of the Blue uh, Smokies, uh, one of those great TVE dams. But uh, he said uh, they had a problem with the dam. They brought in some army divers to dive down to the bottom uh, uh, inside the lake to see if they can find the trouble. And those men soon came up and they said, we won't go back. We are not going back down there. He said there are catfish lying on the bottom uh, with a mouth four foot wide. They could swallow a man one swallow. And those army men wouldn't go back. And then the same man that told me that story said that a catfish gets so big he has to stay on the bottom. And all the refuse that comes down, all the dead fish that fall on him, he eats it. And he grows, and it grows as long as he lives. I didn't know that. But a catfish says they will grow as long as they live. But a big tree must have hard weather to produce. So right now, uh, we have joy for a season. We have had today joy for a season. Uh, if need be, that joy is going to give away because God wants you to be a great Christian. 
And if you shot it all the time, you wouldn't be worth your weight and salt. You're going to have to have a trial. If a preacher never had a trial, he'd be no good as a pastor. If a singer never had any criticism, he'd be no good as a singer. Right. And so those things are needful. We grow by that kind of a thing, you see. And look again here at verse number 6. Wherein you rejoice greatly, though now for a season, comma, if need be, ye are in heaviness through, if need be, comma, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And those manifold temptations indeed bring heaviness to you. Now look at verse 7. This is from the text. That the trial of your faith, how many of you have faith to believe in Jesus as your Savior? Hold your hand up. Now I read in verse number 7 that the trial of your faith now, that wouldn't read that way if a trial of faith was not a reality or a potential. And when you get saved, if you think sunshine will shine on you from then until you die, you're going to be disappointed. In that way. I guess it would be good as far as we're concerned if it weren't that way, but it isn't that way. Down the road, there's going to be a disappointment. I've had a few of them in my life. A few of them in my life. And uh, I think they've helped me. I can't say that I've enjoyed them. I know what heartache and heartbreak is. And you really don't sympathize with people until your heart has been made to breathe yourself. In the Old Testament, the, the priests were sanctified that they might sympathize. And God sanctifies his people nowadays uh, through a trial that in turn you might uh, sympathize with somebody else in the same trial, you see. There was a time when I didn't know what bereavement was, because I'd never experienced it. But now, when I go into what death is, I don't have to say a word. They say, there's a preacher. We know what he's been through. We know the trial of his faith. We know he's been broken. We've watched him shed bitter tears. We know. I don't have to say a word. And, and you're the same way. Some of you dear people are gifted. God sanctified you to sympathize with people that are brokenhearted and to help people that are in the trial in the way. Now, not everybody has that gift. Uh, in the trial of my faith, I had folk write to me and condemn me and call me a hypocrite. Not many, uh, two or three, wrote and said, we thought you were a hypocrite, now we know you are. If you'd been right with God, uh, the things that happened to you would not have happened. You wouldn't think people would be that hard-hearted. But that, that's the minority. I'm so glad it's not a majority. Just a handful of people have that attitude. The most of the people said, God bless you, preacher. We're praying for you. And that's the thing that counts, you see. And you never get over that. You appreciate it until your dying day. You needed it. The trying of your faith. I read that in verse 7. Look at it in your Bible. That the trial of your faith being, more, uh, being much more precious than of gold that perishes. Now there's the text. The trial of your faith being much more, not just more, but much more precious than gold that perishes. What a tremendous statement that is. Now through it uh, be tried, though it be tried by fire, that is, uh, your, your test and be as a fiery test, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, 
you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we all say amen to that, don't we? Now my text is in the heart of verse number 7. That the trial of your faith being much more, remember those two uh, adjectives to describe it, much more precious than of gold. The trial of your faith, much more precious than gold. Now, preacher, that doesn't sound reasonable. That sounds strange if you'd say a thing like that. The trial of your faith, much more precious than gold. Well, actually, I didn't say that, did I? I read that. Out of God's holy inspired scriptures. And I think God knew what he was talking about when he made the statement. He wanted me and you to know the statement, so he put it in his holy scriptures. So the trial of our faith is not something that should turn you away from God or turn you away from serving God because it's described in the same scriptures as being much more precious than gold. Though that gold may be tried in fire and that gold is described as precious, yet the trial of your faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. Now that may sound like a paradox, and worldly people nowadays say, no, nothing to that. You Christians have a strange philosophy. Well, one thing about it, our philosophy causes us to sing, doesn't it? Causes choir to sing, doesn't it? Our philosophy makes us want to tell it. And Brother Davis will tell you a lot of things about the mission tonight. Uh, these fellows went down to the motel to spend last night. And uh, one of them handed one of our workers a gospel track, Chris. He told me about it. And uh, Brother Chris knew that he was one of the group. He said, oh, I don't want that. You're a fanatic. Well, he knew, he knew the boy was not a fanatic. He knew that. He knew that he was not a fanatic. But he was just uh, joking with him a bit. And the world has that idea, you know, that these men are fanatics. Brother Davis is uh, a bit strange to go to the trouble of drive all the way from Chicago when they have churches all over that city to come down to Greenville in the deep south and uh, then have to turn right around and go back. Well, man, that, that's unthinkable. Well, it'd be all right if he was going to Atlantic City to gamble. It'd be okay if he was going to Myrtle Beach. But to, but to go to a Baptist church that far away is unreasonable. Well, people don't understand, do they? No, they don't understand. But we understand, indeed, that the trial of our faith is much more precious than gold. The value of our faith. Now, I don't think anybody in the building will deny the value of gold. We have gold uh, as a standard of wealth. Uh, America has a gold reserve. England has a gold reserve. They have a lot of copper and a lot of silver. But uh, look at the difference in the price between silver and gold. You can buy silver for a few dollars an ounce, but you can't buy gold for a few dollars an ounce, that's for sure. And all the nations of the earth clamor for gold. In the second chapter of the book of Genesis, the Bible tells me about the Garden of Eden, that there was gold there. If I was a gold prospect, I wouldn't go to Colorado. If I was a gold prospect, I wouldn't go to Richmond County in South Carolina. But if I was a, a gold prospector, I'd get aboard a plane and go to Israel. Because the Bible tells us there's gold there. And I believe the Bible is true. And when God said there's gold there, he meant what he, what he's talking about. He put it there. Gold is a precious reality. And yet the analogy is set up in my text between the value of faith and the value of gold. The only thing about it, faith is much more valuable than gold. I don't have much gold, but I have enough faith 
and I have plenty of grace. I have plenty of grace. And I've never been forsaken or forgotten by God. Never shall be. If eyes upon the sparrow, he'll watch me. Faith, I have. I don't pay the Lord a dime. I can't pay him. I don't have it to pay with. He doesn't require pay. He requires faith. And I have that. He gave it to me. When I have faith. And the value of faith is called more, more precious than gold. Now, look at the analogy with it for a moment. I remind, you, I remind you that like gold, faith is rare. There's not an abundance of it. There is such a thing as faith. Brother Henderson told me about a brother-in-law of his passing away this week down in Alabama. And before he died, he said to his family, Do you see those beautiful uh, roses and flowers? Don't you see them? The Lord pulled the curtain back a little bit, let that dying brother get a glimpse on the inside. We say he was beside himself. I don't think so. God did that for him, you see. And let him have that blessing. Uh, faith is not plentiful in the land. It's rather rare, relatively speaking. Most people don't have it. And they mock you and I who do have it. Uh, like gold, faith is rare. But it's just as real as gold. And we that are believers, we'd rather have faith than to have gold. And my text says it's much more precious than gold could ever be. And so, like gold, faith is rare. Then again, like gold, uh, faith is untarnished. You don't tarnish gold. Now, uh, uh, copper and uh, brass and all kinds of metals will tarnish. You know, when, when Nebuchadnezzar stole the gold and shields off the walls of the temple in Jerusalem and carried them away to Babylon, they made uh, shields of brass. But those fellows that made those shields of brass as a substitute forgot that every week or two they had to be polished. But you made a shield of gold, hanged it on the wall, it stayed there forever, never tarnished. Never tarnished. But a brass shield had to be worked on, had to manpower to keep it shining. And so uh, it is with gold, it remains untarnished. Uh, and the faith, it remains untarnished. If you have faith, it's not going to be destroyed. You'll not lose it. Some of these institutions are higher learning, and I could name some of them, I think, delight in causing a freshman to doubt his salvation and to doubt the Bible. Now, I know something about that from experience. Uh, a freshman coming in just out of high school, and they're saying, I'm training for the ministry. There's some professors that seem to delight to shake him and make him doubt his Bible. That's as wicked as a thing can be. God forbid we'd ever do that at Tabernacle. We try to encourage you men to believe the Bible at Tabernacle and not shake his faith. But I say to you, if that young freshman has real faith, you don't tarnish that faith. You don't take that faith from him. Right. I've had a few people ask me, you went to Furman four years. Didn't they bother you about your faith? No, sir. I went there believing in the Bible and believing in Jesus. I came out believing in the Bible and believing in Jesus. Less than almost 50 years ago, and I still believe the Bible. I still believe in Jesus. My faith is much more precious than gold. Gold can become tarnished. A, a, a metal can become tarnished. But like faith, like gold, remains untarnished. Then remind you too, uh, like gold, in that it is testable. Faith is testable. 
If you have a piece of gold in your possession, you don't have to worry about what the jeweler man will say if he carried down and say, Mr. Jeweler, look this over. And he'll take his glass off, put that thing on his eye so he can see it real closely. And you don't have to give, have any misgivings about it. If it's real gold, he'll find it out. If it's real gold, it'll prove positive in the test. If it's not gold, you want to know it. Get rid of it. But if it's real gold, it's something of value. And you'll look at it and you'll say, that's real gold. That, I'll pay you whatever your price, uh, uh, I think, to buy it. And you say, no, I don't want to sell that. That's real gold. Uh, you can test faith the same way. And faith never changes. Faith remains the same. Amen. Amen. I believe that. I read in the last chapter, of, uh, in the 11th chapter of the Hebrew epistle, uh, that in his old age, uh, Jacob blessed his 12 sons as he was dying. Had as much faith then as he had when his first son, Reuben, was born. And then I find also that in his last days, Joseph said to, the, to his people in Egypt, Don't leave my body down here. And I'd imagine his body was aged and broken and diseased and weak and nobody wanted what Joseph had. But Joseph had a body. He said, Now when I die, you put my body in a coffin. The only place in the Bible the word coffin is used. Genesis 50. And when you leave this land, Joseph knew he's going to, they were going to leave this land. He, he believed in the promised Messiah, uh, so-called a deliverer, Moses. He knew that deliverer would come. And when the deliverer comes, you take my body out of this Egypt land and you carry me back to Israel. And they did. He said that when he was old. When he was young, he served with Pharaoh and became famous as a prime minister of the land of Egypt. When he got too old to serve, his faith was just as strong as it was when he served Pharaoh. Never diminished a bit. So strong until he said, put me in a coffin. And by the way, that word literally means hope chest. Put me in a hope chest because I hope for a better day. And Paul had the same feeling in First Corinthians 15 when he cried, Oh, death, where is thy staying? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be unto God that gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. I stood by many an open grave, many an open grave, more than you have, down through the years. And I feel so badly as I stand in the presence of death, and that open grave speaks to me so profoundly until I feel bad. But I remember what Paul said, and I can look at that hole in the ground and say, Oh, grave, you don't have the victory. Oh, death, you have no sting. Dr. Lincoln said uh, that uh, God caught death and pulled his stinger out like you pulled a stinger out of a bee and turned him loose. And all he can do now is just buzz. Death can't touch you. We have pain. Amen. And you can test it out. It'll prove true. Then again, gold, like faith, is beautiful. Queens think so. The bride thinks so. I was just thinking today while Brother Kennedy was teaching a lesson, how wonderful God called the church the bride. I'm going to preach on that one day. Why did God elect to call the church the bride? There's a certain excitement about a bride that may diminish when they become a widow Oh, and they become old and feeble. But in the mind of God, the church is always like a beautiful bride. 
And he looked down and see a lot of us hopping along with a walking stick, getting along the best way he can, and he don't pay attention to that. He looks at me as if I was 21 and strong and hearty and hale like these men in the choir. And I'm just as wonderful to him at 79 as I am at 21. He called me a bride. I'm part of the bride. And usually a bride is in the prime of youth, the prime of beauty. Let's stop that. I'm going to preach on that one of these days. Faith is beautiful. Beautiful. Amen. Beautiful. Like gold is beautiful. And you have a gold ring on your hand. Uh, that's a priceless piece that you take nothing for. It's beautiful. And uh, anybody will agree that it's beautiful. Well, faith is beautiful. When I see faith in young men, I say hallelujah. When I see faith in old people, I say hallelujah. When I look at my own heart and find faith to keep on, I say hallelujah. Amen. Faith is beautiful. What could I have to adorn myself greater than faith? Much more. Faith is more precious than gold. Faith is beautiful. Then again, faith is like gold, is valuable. Uh, you, the world doesn't think so, but to me, one of the most valuable things I know of is faith in God. Have faith in God. Now, when I'm young and strong and hale, I may not need to have faith in God, but when I'm old and weak and feeble, I need an arm. I need a hand under me. I need somebody to guide my eyes get dim. I need somebody to speak to my soul because my ears are deafened. I need somebody that can do for me when I get old. And I've found that my faith works just fine. Amen. It does for me what some people cannot do. It helps me in my latter days. Faith is valuable. And then faith uh, is like gold, like gold is a witness of our wealth. If I had a handful of gold, you said, preacher, you're a wealthy man. That's worth a lot of money. What you have in your hand worth a lot of money. What I have in my heart is infinitely greater. If I had a handful of gold, I'd have to rob a bank to pay for it. I don't have the money. And I couldn't rob a bank, that's for sure. But I have faith at no cost. It just keeps growing and multiplying. I have big dividends on my faith. I've been paying interest on my faith for a long time. I've been saved about about 65 years. And I've grown a lot of dividends. Faith is valuable. Then again, faith uh, can be counterfeited, and I'll stop with that. Faith can be counterfeited, like gold sometimes can be counterfeited. And I have seen gold counterfeits. Uh, I've never seen a gold coin in counterfeit. But I've seen other pieces of gold that were not pure. And uh, I'm sad to say that sometimes faith is not pure. But we that are saved can test faith. If your faith endures, it's not counterfeit. If your faith grows, it's not counterfeit. If your faith uh, supplies your need, it's not counterfeit. If your faith causes you to remain put, stay put, stay on the job and in the church, then your faith is not counterfeit. But if your faith lets you run loose, you better find somebody to test you out and see whether you have good faith or not. Amen. Faith 
Wonderful. If you have faith, marvel in it and thank God for it. The value of faith. And we're poor people. I'm not a wealthy man. Never have been, never shall be. Have no desire to be. But I do know the Lord. I have faith in Jesus Christ. And I'd rather have that than anything the world has to offer. If you're in this building about the radio and you don't have saving faith, I want to see you get saved. And you can have the same thing I have. But preach, I don't have the money. You don't take any money. You provide the sinner. God freely provides the grace. He'll take care of it. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.